Welcome to the First Prez Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. Our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Prez at firstprezcos.org. Well, again, I want to welcome you and, and um, ask you to open your Bibles. I want to say hello, too, to those who are tuning in, uh, watching online, who would love to be with us and um, in person, but are joining us uh, online or listening back later this week. We begin this series about the cross, the cross. Would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1? As I read for you verses 17 to 24 this morning and as we open these scriptures, let's open our hearts in prayer. So Lord, open our hearts. Lord, there's so much you have to say to us this morning. And it comes through your holy word. Lord, it comes as we open our hearts to listen to you and your spirit speaks to us in a hundred different ways. And I pray for everyone here, Lord, that we would each hear exactly what we need today to follow you and have faith. In Jesus' name we pray. And together we said, amen. First Corinthians 1 at verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Amen. What would you say is the most important moment in your life? What would you say is the moment that changed everything? The moment that you would point to that changed the direction of your life? Guys, if you're seated next to your wives, I'm going to give you a hint. (laughs) This is a good moment to reach over and squeeze her hand. And, And wives, this is a good moment to look... Uh, back at your husband knowingly, right? Okay, so we got that. We got that out of the way, right? Okay, what else? What else? What is that most important moment, that critical moment where everything changed? Was it a moment in your career? Maybe it was the day that you got into a school that you were looking to get into. Maybe it was a risk you took. Maybe it was a sudden shift that you didn't plan for. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you and your family had to move. Uh, Maybe you were in an accident or you were diagnosed with a disease and it changed everything. You would call that moment 
the crucial moment. The crucial moment. That's what we call a, a moment that shifts everything on its axis. A crucial moment. Crucial comes from the Latin, the word crux. Crux means, you can say it, it's okay. Cross, that's right, cross. The cross changes everything. The cross is the hinge. The cross is the pivot point. It's an odd thing to revere the cross the way we do. A cross is an instrument of torturous execution and death. It was designed to publicly execute someone to the maximum of pain and to the maximum of humiliation and shame. Crucifixion is a uniquely horrible thing to do to a person. There are many ways to execute a criminal that are much less offensive than the cross. And do you notice we don't preach Jesus executed. We preach Christ crucified because what he endured was one of the greatest horrors that ever one person could do to another. He experienced the horror of the cross. And now we see crosses everywhere from the top of uh, church buildings and over sanctuaries to uh, necklaces and earrings and, and uh, you know, anybody. Church leaders wear crosses, kids wear crosses, actors, models, rappers wear crosses of gold around their neck, you know. You see it everywhere. It's probably the most tattooed symbol that ever there was is the cross. Which, by the way, you might want to consult your Bible before running off to get a tattoo it might say something there. I'm just saying, just check, okay? Just check. But why does, this, why does this, this shape, this torture instrument, capture our attention so much? The psychologist Carl Jung thought that we were captivated by the cross because it looks a little bit like the human face. He said when you were an infant, you were staring up at your mother or your father uh, pouring da peering down over you in the crib and, and you caught the horizontal lines of the eyes and the vertical lines of the nose and then that face disappeared and for the rest of your life, somewhere deep inside, you're longing to find that face again because you were lying there crying all alone, wondering where it went. <laughs> Which I think is kind of fascinating to think about but winds up being a fairly shallow explanation of why we are approaching the cross. Tens of, thousand people, of thousands of people were crucified through the course of the Roman Empire. In the year 73 BC, a senator named Marcus Crassus lined the Appian Way with 6,000 crucified slaves to celebrate his military triumph, a parade on the way home to Rome. But that's not why we revere the cross. We revere the cross, we lift high the cross, we have a cross here because among the tens of thousands of people who were killed on this instrument of death, there was one who changed the world forever. His name was Jesus. There is no more crucial, no more central, more world-altering moment in history than the day Jesus of Nazareth was killed on the cross. 
A theologian named Karl Barth was asked by a group of students in 1962 when he got saved. They said, when did you get saved? And what they wanted was his personal testimony, his, his moment of, of knowing that Jesus was his Savior and Lord and, and that his life was in Jesus' hands. But Karl Barth, being a pretty uniquely thoughtful guy, this kind of Swiss-German theologian with the pipe and the tweed jacket and all that, right? He leaned back and he said, when was I saved? It happened one afternoon in AD 34 when Jesus died on the cross. There's no more pivotal moment in all of human history than when salvation was made possible for you and for me by the death of Jesus. Now when Paul came to Corinth to share about Jesus, he claimed that the only thing he came to say, his only message was the cross. The church he had planted in Corinth had a lot of things going for it. It was a, a wonderful church in the center of town. It was diverse. Uh, it had lots of conversion happening, lots of new faith happening, people coming to entirely new ways of life and coming together to celebrate. But it was also a church that was in trouble, that was fracturing apart into groups according to who had been baptized by whom. And Paul addressed that earlier in the chapter. He said, that's not what we're going to separate out about at all. And they were also questioning, the church was questioning, and this is where our passage gets, they were questioning whether they had been manipulated by emotion or met with something real when Paul told them, about Jesus. They thought, well, was it just that Paul was a great speaker? Was he just a great uh, orator? And with his fancy language and his dramatic flourishes, was that what moved our, our hearts? And Paul responds, verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now, of course, Paul baptized. We know that Paul baptized. What he's saying there is, I, I wasn't sent here to separate you into groups according to baptism. I was sent here to preach, to tell you the message, and not to do it in a showy way, not to do it in an eloquent kind of way, not to do it in a way with powerful flourishes of rhetoric. See, his preaching was not a show. It wasn't something that you would sell tickets to. Like the, the dramatic shows down in the theater or, or frankly the philosophers in the public square. This wasn't something that you would put money down for. His preaching was simple and it was pure. His message was all content and the content was the cross. The cross has its own power. The cross communicates on its own authority. And the people, they were used to, to being manipulated, emotionally manipulated by, by fancy rhetoric. Well, there's no trick to the cross. All of that washes up against the rocks when it comes to the cross. It is what it is. Paul said the same thing in the next chapter. If you read forward, you'd see in chapter 2, he said, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him 
crucified. It's not a show, it's a report. The message is the cross, that's what we have to say. And we didn't expect it to be popular either. Hey, come follow a guy who, who, who died on a cross as a, as a criminal. People were trained to avert their eyes from the cross. Women would shelter their children from looking up and seeing anyone who'd been crucified along the way. It was shameful to, to wind up on a cross like that. But this is the message I have. This is what I've come to tell you. The message is the cross. It's not an argument. It's not a philosophy. It's not a manipulative, dramatic presentation. It's not a sales pitch. It's a cross. Jesus died on it. It's an event I have to relate to you. Jesus died on a cross. We preach Christ crucified. Jews demand signs, verse 22. And Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Let's walk through this together. It says Jews demand signs. Well, what were they looking for? They were looking for dramatic, miraculous moments that would declare to them, that would resonate with them that the Messiah has come. They wanted him to take up a stone in his sling and slay a giant like David had done with Goliath. They wanted him to bring down a rain of fire from heaven down on the oppressors and on the false prophets like Elijah had done at, at, at Mount Carmel. But, but he didn't do those things. You see, they were watching for signs they did not see. Even though Jesus did signs, they did not recognize. They look for signs. Greeks look for wisdom. The church was diverse. They had Jews and Greeks, all together, Hebrews and Hellenists, all together in one body. Well, Paul calls them all out, you know. The Greeks, they were looking for their kind of wisdom. Philosophy for a Greek philosopher was a way of understanding the universe in order to control the world around them. You see, if you know how something works, you can make it work to your own advantage. We, in our times, we would almost say science and technology to explain the way that Greeks looked at philosophy. It was a way to understand how things work so that you can manipulate them to your benefit. Well, it's really about power. They were looking for was power, demonstration of power. And Jesus didn't demonstrate power the way the Greeks liked leaders to demonstrate power. Jews demand signs and Greeks looked for wisdom. But we preach, you want to say it with me? We preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. Now we preach Christ. We preach that this is Christ, this is the Messiah. This Jesus of Nazareth, he is the Christ, the promised redeemer, 
the Son of Man, the Son of God, the fulfillment of all the promises of God in all of the Hebrew Scriptures where he said, I myself will save. I myself will gather my children. I myself will shepherd my people Israel. I will come by my right arm. I will redeem. All of those promises, we say, are fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the Christ even though he didn't overthrow Roman occupation. Jesus is the Lord even though to a Greek He looks very helpless and weak, pinned to a cross. We say, we preach Christ. But we preach Christ crucified. This is the Christ. This is God. He has come. He has come down. God has come down to us. And we preach Christ crucified. The cross is our message. That Jesus, who is the Messiah, that Jesus, who who we watched walk through his ministry, Jesus of Nazareth, who must be nothing other than God. He must be God. He went to the cross. He is Christ crucified. And we are just beginning to think we might understand why. In fact, over the next six weeks, friends, We're going to walk together in looking at all the different reasons why to unfold layers of just what it meant, of just why Jesus died on the cross and what he accomplished for us there. There's no more central symbol than Christianity. I can't can't imagine a more important thing for you to understand than what Jesus has done for you on the cross. It's the very core of the gospel. The four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they spend a third of their time talking about the passion, the crucifixion, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. How we come to understand the cross of Christ, well, it changes how we view God. It changes how we view the world. It changes how we view life itself. There's nothing more central. Jesus went to the cross as an act of supreme love. Supreme love and personal sacrifice. Jesus went to the cross to free us from obligations to dark powers like sin and death and even the devil. Jesus went to the cross to show us that real power goes low to serve, not high to dominate. Jesus went to the cross to open up a, a threshold to new life, to say here is the place where the old dies and the new comes. Everything becomes new at the cross. But friends, above all and through it all, we must never forget and never lose sight that Jesus, the Son of God, went the cross for us. For us and for our sake. Jesus went to the cross on our behalf in our place to, to replace us, to, dis, to displace us from a position of death and punishment from a position that you and I deserved. 
It, no, it wasn't a, an angry father appeased by watching his own son die. That's a false understanding. Listen now. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, together one God contrived to make salvation happen. They contrived to bring salvation to a rotten and disobedient humanity, to a, a rotting and corrupted creation. They contrived together to stretch salvation forward for us. And through this loving, necessary, painful, selfless, open, vulnerable, atoning, substitutionary sacrifice. Salvation was made for us. As the Nicene Creed says, for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. See, not just the cross, everything that he did for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary to become truly human for our sake, it says. He was crucified for us, for our sake. That's why we preach Christ crucified. That's why our message is the cross. Friends, he did it for us. Now, what do we find at the cross? Why are we so fascinated? Why do we turn again and again to this symbol? We find all that we need. John Calvin put it this way. If we seek redemption, it will be found in his passion. If absolution in his condemnation. Oh, you've got to think about each one of these. If we're looking for forgiveness, it's found in the fact that he was, he was condemned for us. Remission of the curse in his cross. Satisfaction in his sacrifice. His sacrifice makes us uh, whole. Purification in his blood. Reconciliation in his descent into hell. Can he get you home to God Almighty? He's been to hell. He's been lower than you would ever fall and he can get you home from wherever you are. Mortification of the flesh in his tomb. Do you think that there's a place where the old can die and the new can come? Look at Jesus. In rec newness of life and immortality in his resurrection. He opened the grave into new life. Inheritance of the celestial kingdom. Is that what we're looking for? We find it in his entrance into heaven. He's up there waiting. He's, he's there waiting for you, opening the door for you. Protection, security, abundance, and enjoyment of all blessings in his kingdom. God has good things coming in this world for you and for all of creation in his coming kingdom. Fearless expectation of the judgment day. Well, who's your judge? It's Christ and he died for you and he rose for you and he lives and reigns in heaven on your behalf. Finally, blessings of every kind are deposited in him. Where do we look? We look to Jesus. Let us draw from his treasury from no other source, says John Calvin until our desires are satisfied. Amen. Where do we find what we're seeking? We find it all at the cross. What I'm telling you this morning is this. No matter how much time you have spent thinking 
about what Jesus accomplished on his cross, you have only scratched the surface of all that he has done. And so all I'm asking you this morning, what I'm asking you for is would you commit to learning together as we open up scripture after scripture, as we talk about uh, Christian doctrine, Christian philosophy, Christian arguments about what Jesus did because something in the knowledge of what Christ has done for you is going to unlock your life. He was locked here so you could be free and unlocked for eternal life. And I don't know which week it is, which aspect, which layer is going to be the one that opens up new life for you. So would you commit? Would you, would you come week after week? Would you make sure that you listen if you can't be here? Verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Okay, this is a stumbling block. It's a scandal. It's a, it's a silliness in the world. It's a ridiculousness. It's an absurdity that God would die, that the Son of God would go to the cross. It's absolutely absurd. Foolishness. But to those called into salvation, both Jew and Greek, this or that, from here or there, wherever you come from, if you're from here, you've come from that bit, you've had this past or that past, it doesn't matter. You come to the cross. You come to Jesus from where you are. And to those called into salvation, those being saved, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. See, for those who have the, the saving power of Christ at work in them, this phrase, Christ crucified, it's not, it's not an absurdity. This phrase, Christ crucified, it gets translated, Christ, the power of God to bring me home to salvation. Christ, the wisdom of God at work in my life, showing me where I need to go, what I need to do, who I need to be, what Christ has done for me. Christ crucified means, means I, I can't get to God by my wisdom. I can't get to God by my power. But Christ crucified means that God has come down. And he's come all the way down, underneath. Christ crucified means God has come to me in my helpless estate to rescue me from my own destruction. Well, friends, over the next few weeks, the real question is, what does the cross mean to you? I can unload scriptures on you. We'll unfold uh, Christian doctrine, Christian philosophy, Christian preaching, what we think it means. But what does it mean to you? It happened, this event. It happened, Christ crucified. What does it mean to you? For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For Paul, his only message, friends, the only message is, is the cross. 
And he was not a shifty salesman. He was not a, 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 a dramatic actor or something like that. It, it wasn't with eloquent and persuasive speech that he would talk. He said that would empty the cross of its inherent power. If I tried to do some kind of a song and dance in front of you, listen, the cross preaches for itself. The plain preaching of the cross, it produces, it produces two results. Some are repelled by the foolishness and the absurdity of it. It's ridiculous. This verse says those are the ones the Bible call the Bible calls the perishing. But for those who are being saved, maybe we could put that verse uh, back up. For those who are being saved in verse 18, we you see the do you see the passive tense there? Those who are being saved, for those who have the power of God at work in them, they they aren't saving themselves, they aren't working their way home. No, they are being saved. God is underneath them, lifting them. God is active in their life. For those who allow the work of the Spirit to to speak to their hearts and to 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 bring faith, to let them believe in the saving work of God through Jesus Christ. For those who are humble enough to be on their knees before the the victorious work of Jesus and recognizing without Christ, I have no hope. Without Christ, I have no hope of redeeming my past, no hope of reaching home, no hope of making up for my sins on my own. For them, for those who are being saved, the cross is the power of God power of God. Which are you? You see, because that God sent his son to die on the cross for us is the most profound and at the same time the most ridiculous statement that could ever be made. What is it to you? At the cross we go down on our knees. At the cross, at the cross the power of God lifts us to eternal life. It's a place of decision. It's a place of decision. Will the cross of Christ push you away or will it draw you close? I can't decide for you. I can't make uh, that happen for you. I can't determine the outcome of that for you or on your behalf but I pray for you. The cross is our message. For some it is foolishness, a scandal. For others, it's the power of God to lift you for eternal life. Let's pray together. So Lord, help us, I pray, as a church Lord, we look today for the, the opening of this time that we're going to spend together from now until Easter, looking at your cross, gazing at Calvary. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us open our eyes. We pray for a commitment to see these different sides, these different layers, Lord, and to see just what gets unlocked in each of our lives as we come to understand the fullness of your work on the cross. And Lord, we thank you for it. That for the joy set before you, you endured the shame. You thought nothing of the humiliation and the pain, Jesus. Why? Because you looked at each one of us, each person with their head bowed here in this room. You looked at each one, at each name, at each heart, at each soul. 
And he said, I'll do anything to make that one mine. Lord, help us to know your grace and love today to the glory and honor of your everlasting name. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening to the First Prez Podcast. If you would like more information, you may visit our website at firstprezcos.org.